Welcome to the PRISM Education Center podcast. PRISM Education Center is a K-12 school committed to building principled leaders through sound values, solid culture, and strong community. PRISM Education Center is a Northgate school, and this is our podcast. Welcome to the PRISM Podcast. My name is Misty Newcomb. I'm the Executive Director of PRISM Education Center, a Northgate school, and I am your podcast host. Today, we are going to be talking about virtual schooling in the middle school and high school environment. And specifically, we are going to be targeting this podcast at two audiences, parents of middle school and high school students and teachers of middle school and high school students. And we might even give some tips for schools. So school leaders might also find this podcast podcast helpful. What we're wanting to do is talk about what does it look like to have an effective virtual education program for children in the 6th to 12th grade. And we want to give some strategies to teachers and just share about some of the things that we've learned in the last couple of years, virtual schooling, and also give some strategies to parents for how they can make this a successful experience for their kids. And we're going to do that by going behind the scenes and talking with a couple of expert virtual educators. And I want to introduce them today. So Caitlin Webster is joining us from Atlanta, Georgia. Caitlin, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Um, Yeah, so I am homeroom teacher for virtual students in the 6th through 12th grade um, for PRISM. And I provide some virtual coordination help for students, especially in the 6th through 12th grade, but also some support for students who are in the elementary school. Great. And we also have Jerusha Gitlin. Jerusha, why don't you introduce yourself? (laughs) Yes. um, I also teach in the 6th through 12th grade. And so the classes I teach are either completely virtual or some hybrid where I have on-site and virtual students. So I teach a couple different subjects. I think one of the things that you first see and hear when you're describing you guys and your roles is that, number one, we have virtual homerooms. So we have times that middle school and high school students meet up with same age peers from across the U.S. in Caitlin's case and from a particular site in Jerusha's case. So Jerusha meets with Fayetteville kiddos and Caitlin meets with kids who are part of the virtual program streaming in from all different states. And we also have hybrid classes as well as virtual only classes. And I think that that's pretty consistent with what a lot of teachers are experiencing this year. Some teachers are exclusively teaching children in the virtual environment. And they, when they get online, all the kids are online as well and all joining in from their homes. And then some teachers are doing what Jerusha does several days a week, and they're teaching kids both live in a classroom and simultaneously virtually. And the virtual kids are streaming into that live classroom, which has its... It, it honestly has its challenges, but they're incredibly surmountable. They are, it is, it, it is, uh, there are some, cha- just like any class environment, there are some challenges associated with that, but you can overcome those. And when you do overcome those, you have some really great and rich experiences. So what are some of the strategies, ladies, when you're thinking about how to make a virtual environment very meaningful for middle school and high school students? What are some of the things that you've learned are really important? Um, Yeah, so I think that a major thing is keeping the kids connected 
to each other. Um, and I know that the teachers have, the content teachers have um, experimented in a lot of ways with that um, and seen the importance of that in teaching those classes. But um, I think as a homeroom teacher, making sure that you're getting them socializing and connected with each other because that's such an important component in this stage of development that they're at. Yeah, I agree. And um, we've talked about a bunch of different tips for how to do that, including um, really utilizing the breakout rooms that are in our different tools, or whether you're using Google Meets or you're using Zoom, um, using that tool and really switching it up each time. So the same tools you would have in a regular in-person classroom, making sure you're using those same concepts in the virtual environment. So not just having a rote way that you always use a breakout room, but switching right. up the activities and really getting the kids interacting in a fresh way each time. And I think that's super important. One of the things that seems to have been forgotten inside of all of this is that high schoolers and middle schoolers are incredibly social beings, right? And we knew that. I mean, as, as educators, we know that. And, and that's not, that's something that you really, every you know, professional development experience I've had in the last, you know, decade of being in education, what I have been taught is that it's no longer the the sage on the stage. It's not just we don't educate from a standpoint of getting up and lecturing kids for six to eight hours a day. Instead, we want them to be active learners and actively engaged in the process. And what we know from a developmental perspective is that universally, no matter what culture you go to, students are identifying with each other and find those connections with same age peers to be incredibly valuable. And in, in many cultures, on top of that, the interactions with mentors or adults are also incredibly important at this age. And so these adults play massive roles in shaping kids' mindsets and shaping their understanding of who they are and their interactions with other peers do the same thing. And so we don't want to leave that off. I'm just going to read a statistic that I read after after the spring uh, experience with virtual schooling and 23% and only 23% of children in high school, students in high school had a synchronous, at, meaning at the same time, meeting on Zoom or some other platform with their teachers. That means 23% had one, one meeting. And I know um, some of our friends in, a, in an area high school, that one meeting for their child was for the sports program and they learned the rules of the sports program for the upcoming year, but they didn't have any classes online. And I think we've gotten better about that as, as you know, a global world in the last year where we are having more person to person interactions, but we still ha have kids coming into our program because all that they've done up to this point in the school year is gone online, downloaded materials, watch videos that, that teachers put up in advance. And there's a whole host of reasons why people are doing that, that range from, you know, parent schedules, internet access, things like that. So it's entirely understandable why people are doing that. But in, in our area and in our, um, our, our region, we actually are able to have at least some classes. And I would think most of the people listening would be in that same, same boat where you can actually have some courses done and conducted in real time with 
with a teacher actively actively teaching. And that's that is what how we run pretty much all of our courses. And then they have their independent work that they do later. But we find that connection to be super important. And so some of the ways y'all are facilitating connections with other students is through group projects and through breakout rooms. So Jerusha, you said you don't want to do the breakout rooms the same way every day. And I know as a teacher, one concern might be, well, what about if my child is in a breakout room? If the students are in a breakout room, how do I know that they're talking and how do I know that they're talking about the right thing? Yeah. So um, I will often have something that the group needs to complete, whether that's an activity or some uh, they're finding answers to particular questions or developing, um, you know, in a Spanish class that they're developing a certain conversation, the a deliverable product that they can come back to the, the whole group at the end. And kids do love, they love sharing and being able to talk to each other. So it might be designating somebody to report back to the full group, um, dividing up a whole project in so that you know each group ends up with a piece that they can bring all back together um you know like i said just switching it up all the time but still having something concrete where the kids can know right. this is what i need to have at the end and even defining hey you have exactly 10 minutes <laughs> to get this right. um so having a deliverable product and a time frame designated before you release them into that room and I think that intensity of that time frame, you know, you don't want to give them so much time that it's all just social. And I've seen that that's been really effective to sort of focus everybody and to talk with them. I know in the social studies classes, we might pick different sides of an issue to debate and assign people. So one of the options you have on Zoom is that students can pick their own breakout room. And so we might say, here's three sides of this debate. And you get to pick which side you're in. And then sometimes I Zoom also has a setup where you can pre-assign students. And so we might assign students based off of ability. Sometimes Zoom has a thing where you could just randomly assign people. And so whatever room they land in, that's the that's the thing that they're working on. I heard from a math teacher yesterday at how beneficial he broke the students out into to classrooms. And he was sharing how beneficial it was for them to collaborate to solve a problem. And he would jump into the rooms and he was surprised, number one, how much they enjoyed it. And number two, he was surprised at how much it seemed to really help them. And you really are tapping into some developmental things where teaching other people actually helps you learn. And then you're tapping into some motivational things where being in a class or in a small group with students kind of is a higher stake to some kids. And therefore, they're more focused because they feel like they care a little more about what their same age peers think about them than what a loving, merciful teacher thinks about their responses. And so, so that, that kind of ups the motivation level. And so that's, um, that's a, a really great strategy. I think, uh, Caitlin, go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, the importance of switching it up. And um, as a teacher, just knowing like you have to come in and you have to keep it snappy. You got to come in and, and keep them interested, which is the same if you're teaching in person as teaching virtually. And I was thinking about a few weeks ago, we have every week we have a big school assembly. And a couple of weeks ago, Misty enabled the chat feature for everyone in the assembly. Um, <laughs> and we hadn't done that before. In most of the classes, it would just be where the kids could chat to the host, um, the teacher. And of course, you know, it presented opportunities for development in certain students, but right. that's okay. Like that development is good. Um, and so making sure that you look for opportunities to 
provide those like the learning moment for someone to learn how to use the chat feature rather than coming at it from the control that is so tempting to have and keep as a teacher. I think that's a really good point. And I think it kind of pulls out a a general feeling that I think a lot of educators have and even parents that when you're talking about virtual schooling, it is new to most of us and it has its challenges. And so there's this propensity to say, okay, I want to control this. I want to do everything the exact same way every single day. And that way that will help it be predictable for kids and that will help it be predictable for me. And it kind of makes me feel like this very challenging circumstance is entirely within my realm of control. And so we do things that we would not normally do in a class like lecture, because that's easy to just give kids notes or PowerPoints and lecture and film a video and say, write notes and turn that in for your participation grade. And and that's, if we're thinking about it as an educator, we know that's not the way, that's not the best way for students to learn. It certainly doesn't bring in a lot of motivation. And yes, you need a lecture sometimes. I mean, there's absolutely, but that shouldn't be the only thing we're doing in those groups. And so I think that virtual schooling is sort of a whole new level of releasing control. And like that, that virtual assembly was interesting. And we watched the inauguration together and we opened the chat feature for that. And it did present a lot of learning opportunities for students. And I was grateful for a private chat ability to say, "Uh -uh. (laughs) do not do that. Um, And the reason that I was grateful for that is that it, you it's okay for kids to make mistakes. They're gonna, you know, it's okay for them to, to do that. And it's okay for them to learn from each other. And I could not believe the level of engagement that it brought when we said you can chat and everyone can see your chats. And that has been a, a surprisingly powerful tool for the, for the students, but it required us to let go of a little bit of that control. And one of the, one of the things that I've, I've actually used in my class is where I'll open up the chat and have students write their responses and have everyone go in and look at those responses and form and say, this is the theme. Here's some different views. Here's some, actually analyze each other's feedback. And again, because these are students and they are highly motivated by social interactions, it has brought out some some richer experiences. And in that chat feature, you've got it. I've started to save the chats. Zoom will offer you that opportunity to save chats. You you have to set it up in the settings beforehand, but you can save the chats. And so sometimes we'll take notes. We'll assign different people to take notes on what we're talking about at any given time and we'll assign different people. And then we send out the group chat to everybody. And so again, it kind of focuses them and we'll say, don't send a lot of nonsense stuff out to everybody. Don't write all your opinions. Just let's take notes and we alternate and we do it collaboratively and people can go and look and say, do you want to add to those notes? Is there anything they missed? And it's, it's creating these collaborative shared moments with the students. And, and I think that that's been, been really helpful. Do you guys have kids keep their videos on major, major topic of debate nationally? I don't know if y'all know that or not. Really? Yes. Always. Yes. Always. You You have to be a part of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have seen stuff in my teacher groups that some schools have, are, don't require that. And just kind of tying back to how much kids need social interaction that, um, you know, like you're saying, we could just send work home and have you work independently. And the benefit of getting to be in school virtually is those interactions. So if you're just a black screen, how will you interact? How will you get to participate yeah. with your peers? So knowing that up front, I think the students who tend to want to 
maybe hide or just not be as visible, it is, you know, as a teacher thinking through how can I engage them? How can I draw them out so that they want to be on screen? They want to have their video on so they can talk with their friends and they can and almost using those social interactions as a tool to draw people out. And the argument for keeping the screens off is that some people would be embarrassed of their setting and of, or not have strong enough Wi-Fi. And that, that happens even right. periodically in my classes where kids will say, if I keep the video on, it's, I can't hear the sound. Is it okay if I keep it off today? That happens more than once. We're going to research internet options in their area. There's a lot of free options that schools can access right now. The other idea behind that is we can also just teach the kids how to have a proper background. Like there's, you can have Zoom virtual backgrounds that you add in there and you can have, even on your cell phone, that's an option if that's all they're, they're using. Again, as a school, we have worked to make sure all of our students have a properly functioning computer as well. And that's part of how we've allocated funds for the year. And we understand there's different levels of families' ability to, to abilities to access those. And so sometimes we have to step in and help. But for the most part, parents have been willing to do it. And we've really attempted to structure it so that you don't have to have a really fancy, you know, turbo speed computer to, to do this. But, but you do have to have the tools in place. And so those are important functions that I think school administrators can play. I think that in addition to just always having the classroom content be peppy and different, you also need to make sure that some things are routine. And this is where I think parents can come in and really help support. Teachers should have some things in the exact same place every single day. Assignments, materials for courses. And as a school, we made the decision to put all of our assignments, to construct them in the exact same place, same day, same way for every classroom. And it took us a minute to get there. We actually thought we started the year doing that. And then we realized, oh, our interpretation of what we meant by that was really different. And it had, I was one of those people that had to go and redo it because everybody else was doing it one way and I was doing it different. And I thought I was doing it the same. So I had to go in and re restructure it. Um, and it was a little bit inconvenient, but it has made it tremendously more you know, feasible for students to keep up with their work. And I think going to parents, I think one of the hardest parts about virtual schooling is that there's not a teacher in the room to scaffold. And, and when we talk about scaffold, you, you want to think about like a building being constructed and you, you have that scaffolding equipment that you can put up to different levels or different, and it provides a structure that you can work on. And a lot of students, a lot of the unseen work of teaching is building these systems and these organizational mechanisms that kids can use to organize their learning and to build good study habits, that is tremendously harder in the virtual environment. And so what are some strategies that you guys have seen? Um, obviously, the school can put systems in place like assignments in the same place every day, materials using the same system and schedule. So there's some synchronization at the school level or at the team level. What can parents do? to help kiddos and what should parents expect in terms of making a high functioning virtual environment for their child work? I think you got to know your kids. Um, if they had problems um, organizing materials previously, then they're going to have a hard time organizing materials virtually. Um, and possibly on steroids. <laughs> yes, it, it'll be bigger for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's a new system. And so you are going to have to learn it along with them to help provide that support. Um, and I think just expect that it's going to be, it's going to require a lot um, at the very beginning, a lot of your energy, a lot of your attention, a lot of accountability for your child to help develop that skill. 
but it will develop and they will get better at it um, as long as you're putting in that time at the front end. And I think that you uh, you just cut out there, Caitlin, but I think you said putting in that time at the beginning. Yeah. So Jerusha, do you want to touch on that as well, a little bit about some of those technical systems that families can put in place? Um, yeah, we've talked before about having a, a consistent desk or a place, you know, making sure just your home is conducive to studying, that they have um, an easy way to um you know, a place where it's like, hey, I can go sit down right here. This is where I'm going to um, sit for my classes or to do homework to study. And it helps create that focus for them. Um, we've also talked about, uh, you know, being able to check whatever that system is for assignments and checking consistently. Are they completing everything? And even just that accountability side, setting up, um, you know, having a system where you talk to them about it. What did you learn today? Right. Um, what did you learn today? Tell me about it. And if they can't tell you, it's like, well, let's get in touch with your teachers. Or uh, if you're not understanding, let's follow up and make sure that you are learning what you need to. Yeah, I think one of the things that I would take away from what y'all just said is there's a lot of front-end investment that parents have to make. And it's not always going to be that way, right? I mean, it's not like if you will invest at the beginning. And the truth is, this is what we tell our teachers every year. The first six weeks of school are the time to worry less about content and worry so much more about just building organizational systems and routines that your students learn to you know, to the point of just doing it by default so that they can be successful when you start to really dig into the content. And that role falls to parents when you go to virtual school. Even though parents aren't there, things that parents can do is on the weekend, set their child up for success, make sure the area is clean, make sure their materials are cleaned out, look through, talk to them about their assignments at the very beginning, make sure they know what are your assignments today? Did you write those down? Okay, you get them on this assignments tab. Did you go look this evening? How much time do you need to set up tonight to finish those assignments? What will we wait to do until you finish those assignments? And what do you have to have done <laughs> in order to go and do different things other than school? It's kind of this, the parents have to take the role of the enforcer that the teacher might have taken in the past. Um, parents need to, teachers have to communicate to parents, hey, we're not getting their assignments in. That's why we have these homeroom structures because it helps us, you know, so a teacher can see, okay, so-and-so hasn't gotten their assignments in for this class, this class, or this class. I think they're falling behind. They need a little extra support. And and we could go in and provide those interventions, but really it's the parents that are going to provide those interventions in this setting. There's no study hall. There's no, a lot of those things are not taking place. The other thing I think is that it helps for parents to set the tone. When you're doing that, you know, we tell our teachers, make it fun. Do not make routine setting a drudgery where you're just, you know, harshly executing these study skills and teaching kids to use study skills. And I think that that same thing goes to parents. You're children are going to pick up your perspective on this thing. And if you feel like this is a total loss and sad thing for them, they're going to pick that up. And so the way you talk about it, we have a whole podcast on just the language of 2020 and, and you shaping your tone when you talk about these things with your kids, not to be 
um, discouraging or Debbie Downer say, well, we're going to have to do it this way for right now until something better comes along or until circumstances change. That sets a tone for what this experience is going to be like. And instead, it, you know, the idea of we get to virtual learn, we get to connect with kids across the country, we get to do this, we get to do that, we get to stay connected to our friends, even though we have to stay virtually distant. Caitlin, you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I think it goes back to the point you made at the beginning when we were talking about for teachers, the challenges are totally surmountable. And for parents, it's the same thing. Every challenge is totally surmountable. Yeah, and the rewards really are high. It is weird. I did not like virtual teaching at first. I thought it was really, I thought it was very challenging and difficult. It's my favorite way to teach now. It, I, I feel like I've learned so many strategies that I really look forward to it. And, and I think, gosh, I wish I was like always a virtual teacher. This is so, this is so, I love doing this. I love doing it that way. And I think that, that I've seen several students who say the same thing, that they love virtual learning. And so I think as a parent, you know, don't be, uh, you know, watch your language in terms of setting the perspective and the tone in your house. But also as you're driving, one of the things that I, I do with my kids, and I have a couple, we aren't a high tech family. We're actually, we've worked really hard to be a low tech family. And I have three, I actually have four students, one in college at virtual schooling right now. And one of the things that we've had to do is learn a lot of technical skills. And so I've had to spend some time on the weekends helping them get set up, helping them build systems to store passwords, helping them build systems to find their assignments and and turn them in. And that has been, that was a challenge at the beginning, but it's not anymore. So it's a challenge that goes away. And I found that that helping them with that sort of ease the tension of virtual schooling for them that was very much there at the beginning that has kind of eased up now that they know how to just do the systems. They just needed someone to help with those systems. But I also always ask them um, every day, I say, what was your favorite class today? What did you learn in that class? What made it your favorite thing? And I ask where I know they're struggling, I'll say, what did you talk about in this class? And so if they say, well, I don't have any idea, I didn't understand it at all, I'll say, okay, well, let's set up an appointment to talk with that teacher. And what I'm doing there is, on one hand, helping them understand how to advocate for themselves when they don't understand something, how to learn, how to let a teacher know, I don't know this. But the other thing I'm doing is sort of holding them accountable in a very non-intrusive way, rather than saying you have to understand, go learn it, go do it better. I'm saying, okay, let me show you how to handle this. And I found that about six times out of 10, not every time, but about six times out of 10, they'll say, actually, I do know. Let me, I'll, let me go back and tell you, here's, here's what we talked about. I'll say, okay, you do know, well, what did you talk about? Cause I want to make sure you know, um, cause sometimes it's just like laziness. They don't want to talk about it or they don't want to go deal with it again. And so just having those conversations, I've had to take more ownership of my kids' educational experience. And that is one of the benefits of, of virtual schooling is that parents are more invested and more bought in and that value is then passed on to their kids. And so it's a better, it, it, they learn more and, and they're more engaged in the system. And this is a great system to be engaged in because the system is not just touching their academic needs, but their values, their character, and providing them a whole company of students their age and like-minded peers and families to grow and develop alongside and to build values and, and shape their own destiny and the, the destiny of every environment they touch in the future. And so that's really meaningful. 
Well, thanks, ladies, for for joining us. We our goal is to help shape and inspire uh, families to build a life of hope and faith inside of this season, and also to help teachers to build classrooms of of faith and hope right now as well. And so we hope this has has done that for you, and we look forward to talking about how we can do the same thing with elementary classrooms next week. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Prism Education Center. You can subscribe to this podcast through any platform you access quality podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find out more about Prism Education Center by visiting our website at www.prismeducationcenter.org.